Got a, you okay? Fantastic. If you got a Bible, go to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. We're going to continue our study through the book of Jonah. Last thing we saw as we were together um, studying that. And listen, I want to thank Zach for um, being here and opening the word and sharing last week. Um, thank you for allowing us time away to, to listen. I'm not the biggest fan of George Strait, but he can. Seventy-one-year-old man can put on a show. I was impressed. So, thank you again for that time away for my wife and I. So, last time we were together in Judges chapter three, we saw Jonah is in the belly of a fish. It was a great fish. He was in the belly of said fish, and he had been praying. He'd been there how many days? Three days, three nights, he was in the belly of the fish and he prayed to the Lord and made supplication and repented and asked the Lord to do um, a a work. Chapter 2, verse 7 and 9 says, When my life was failing away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into the holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. So he's admitting, listen, I, I had been forsaking. I had been, I had been chasing after the vain idols of this world of comfort and not being able to go out. God, you gave me a direct order. I was doing the direct opposite. I had forsaken my hope and steadfast love. But Father, with the voice of thanksgiving, I sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. So he's repenting and asking the Lord to forgive him. And then what happens here? Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so as a result of this, he's praying this. And the fish is taking three days to get to where he needs to be. And in verse 10 of chapter 2, we see what happens. Um, God tells the fish to vomit Jonah up onto the land. And the fish does exactly what God tells him to do. Um, So that happened. The Lord spoke. The fish vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. Sometimes, listen, when we go through some tough seasons in life, when when God becomes, that's when God can become the most real. Because if we rewind at the beginning of this, Was Jonah a believer? Yes. Can believers do what they should not do? Absolutely. But God won't leave you there. God will convict you of your sins. God will pursue you. And as Hebrews says, he will discipline his children. Don't brag and, hey, listen, God doesn't punish me for my sin. That's not something you should be bragging about because it's more than likely means you're not his child. So it's, it's, when we go through tough seasons, that can be when God is the most real to us when we go through those seasons. Anybody, amen to anybody in the room? You've been through some tough seasons and the Lord's been real? Like that's, I can, I can testify and say yes and amen, but I can also tell you that's what the Word of God teaches. That those that are in these tough, difficult seasons of life, that God can do a miraculous work in the heart of His children. So, um, that, that happens. So, we begin in chapter 3. Now, Jonah is now on dry land. And the word of the Lord comes to Jonah again. And something happens here. 
Jonah changes his whole tune. Something about being in the belly of a fish for three days. I don't, listen, it might change my perspective as well. But here we go. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. We'll start there. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And it, the word of the Lord, he said, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I have told you to tell them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity. The opportunity to open your word and to study your word. God, I thank you for this church, for their desire to want to know the truth of your word. God, I am unable to relay spiritual truth without your Holy Spirit directly intervening. And God, I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that this room would permeate with your Holy Spirit, and that men and women would hear the truth of your word by you teaching it to them. Uh, We love you. We pray all this in your beautiful and precious name. Amen. So we can see from the text here in verse 1 through 2, the Lord Jesus Christ is the God of second chances. Anybody in the room, can, can I get an amen from somebody? How about he's a, he's a God of third and fourth and fifth chances. Anybody? Let's just, let's just take a survey. How many of y'all done something stupid more than once? Something sinful more than once? Listen, did God forgive you? Yep. Absolutely, right? And so, what, what did, listen, here's the whole, the whole crux of this is that what did Jonah deserve? Like, what did Jonah absolutely deserve from the Lord for disobeying him? Death. The scriptures are very clear that the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So, he disobeyed The Lord. And what he deserved was death. What you and I deserve is death. But what does the Lord Jesus extend to Jonah and to you and I more and more of? Mercy. Grace. How do I know? Because you got to get up this morning. Listen, God should have killed me a long time ago. Anybody else? Like, he should have killed all of us in the room a long time ago for our sins. But man, he is... He loves his children and he extends grace over and over and over again. Now, once again, that doesn't mean we abuse it. I'll I'll preach that to the day I die. We don't abuse the Lord Jesus Christ, but we walk in it. We walk in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us in the room deserve a second chance. Like I said, according to Romans 6, the wages of sin are death. That's it. But the gift of God, the gift of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal life. Jonah experiences what so many Christians go through um, in, in the historical the historical experiences. Now, none of us in the room have been in a, in a belly of a fish. Right? But how many of you guys have gone through some dark times? Gone through, and, and they were of your own making. Because you did something stupid, because you did something wicked, because you did something sinful, you had to bear the weight of those consequences. Anybody? Okay, I didn't know if I was... PJ, I felt for a minute I was preaching to the wrong crowd because there was only a couple of hands and I was thinking we might taint the crowd. We might defile this crowd. But man, listen, let me tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ has extended mercy and grace to me more than once. 
Man, I'm thankful for that. I am so thankful. God, God says to him again. T- tells him again. Remember, in chapter 1, he t- the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, Hey, arise and go to Nineveh and preach against it. And he's like, oh, nope, don't want to do that. I'm out. And he runs the different direction. Goes through this trial. Now in chapter 3, we've got a whole new Jonah. We've got a whole fresh view of how we should see God's commands in our life. And so Jonah has this experience in the belly of a fish. It brings him to the realization he's not in charge. God's in charge. And so the, words, the word comes to him and says, arise and go. And even after ignoring the calling of God, God offers Jonah an opportunity to do what he's called him to do. Oh, that you and I would not waste our opportunities. Oh, that you and I would see this as the opportunity there for us to do what's right. To stop ignoring the Lord and do what God has called us to do. Jonah doesn't waste this time now. Jonah has got a fresh Fresh eyes for this whole thing in chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. So let's look at that. Verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So he obeys the Lord. Now, he starts to walk. And Nineveh was exceedingly great. It was a, it was a massive city. It took three days journey in its breadth. So to get across Nineveh took three days to make that happen. The city was roughly, I did, I did some, some searches and tried to figure out that, because listen, we're, we're Americans, and so we got to go in miles. And we don't do kilometers here. We're miles, right? So the city's roughly, according to history, seven and a half miles in length and three and a half miles square. square three, three and a half square miles. Seven by three and a half. Seven and a half by three and a half. And he said, man, that's not... That's not very big. You ever walked seven and a half miles? Anybody, no, I don't think anybody in here is just signing up saying, hey, I want to do that on a regular basis, especially in July. Anybody? No. Like, he's doing this on foot. And what is he doing? He's not just walking. He's walking and he's preaching in Nineveh. So it's taking him some time because he's calling out to the city and telling them, listen, the judgment of God is coming. He was one of those, you know, you ever see those guys on the corner, you go to a bigger city and maybe they're standing on the corner and they're holding a sign saying, listen, repent, Jesus is coming. You guys seen those guys? That was Nineveh. Or that was Jonah in Nineveh. He's walking through the city saying, listen, yet 40 days. Yet 40 days, Nineveh's going to be overthrown. God's going to destroy this place. So he's taking him three days and he's preaching to everyone in the city. So it's going to take him some time. So Jonah's calling out to the city and he's telling them that they're wicked and that they are in, in danger of God's judgment and wrath. And because of their wickedness, God's going to overthrow their city. Like, that is not the job I want to sign up for. I don't want to go into, listen, I don't want to do it in Cedarville. I don't want to walk through the town and just as I'm walking through town, I'm like, listen, yet 40 days, yet 40 days and Cedarville shall be overthrown by God's judgment. I don't, anybody in the room want that one? Don't want that one. 
That many of us, in the, well, listen, I, some of us might giggle at that idea, but that's what happened in the text. Jonah goes into Nineveh for three days. He's wandering the, the, the city and he's preaching, listen, the judgment of God is coming. Repent. The judgment of God is coming. Repent. And what happens? By God's good graces, the city... Now, this is, this is the thing that's interesting because we live in a culture right now that, man, if you walk through this, this town and said that to some people in this town, they would mock you and say, man, that boy's crazy. If you went to Tulsa, if you went to Wichita, if you went to any of these bigger cities and you wandered the streets for days telling people that God's judgment is coming, most people would write you off as a crazy person and say, oh, that guy's nuts. Oh, that guy's nuts. But because of God's great... Listen, God's preparing the pathway. God's preparing a way here. God's setting up and preparing the hearts of the men and women of Nineveh. God's already, listen, what have I said for years? God does the heavy lifting. It wasn't Jonah. Jonah wasn't the one that was going to save anybody. He was just the messenger, right? So, by God's good graces, the city does not mock this declaration. They don't mock this declaration. Rather, they have a, they're receptive to it. You're going to see it in here in a minute. Why? Why were they receptive? Why was this city of thousands and thousands and thousands of people receptive to this message? Because God saw fit to show mercy to this city and allow them to receive that mercy. John chapter 6 verse 37 says, this is Jesus all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. That's Jesus talking. So God has already begun a work in the, in the hearts of men and women, tenderizing their hearts. And all that, would, all that, would, all that it's going to take is the word of the Lord to be preached. This is also the reason why I'm a huge proponent of Romans chapter 10. This, is, this idea of Romans chapter 10 has a beautiful mindset. Paul is preaching this starting in verse 13. He says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent as it's written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? And then chapter, verse 17, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? This is why it is vital that churches have men who are willing to preach the entire counsel of God. To the people of God. Without, listen, without preaching, without the preaching of the word, no one can be saved. How do you know that? How do you say that, Caleb? Because the word of God says so. Faith comes by hearing. 
And hearing by the word of God. How do you get faith? You're saved by grace through faith. How do you get that? You have to have the word of God preached. I don't know why, but this is the mechanism. This book is the mechanism that the Lord Jesus Christ has so determined to use to ignite the hearts of men and women and save people. Like This is, this is it. Martin Luther once said, the highest worship of God is the preaching of the word of God. So Jonah goes in and takes three days to complete his task. He's been given a task and he, three days. Now listen, if you remember, three is the number of completeness. Perfect unity, completion. Jonah for three days was in the belly of the fish being perfectly and completely worked over by the Holy Spirit and thus he was prepared to go into Nineveh and then he preaches for another three days and completes the message of God's wrath towards this city because of their wickedness and what happens verse 4 he calls in tells them that they're going to be overthrown in 40 days if they don't change their ways he goes into the city And calls out, yet 40 days, Nineveh, you're going to be overthrown. And the response of the city in verse 5. Not one, not not 17, you know, 36, 42 verses later. One verse later. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Now, who did they believe? Did they notice they did not believe Jonah? They believed God. Jonah was just the messenger. There's nothing special about the preacher, and the preacher's saying that. There ain't nothing special about me. The only thing that's special about me is that the Holy Spirit resides in me. Period. The only thing that's special about you is the Holy Spirit resides in you, if you're a believer. Just, the only thing that's different is that about the preacher is that he's faithful to bring the message that God has allowed him to bring. And God then allows wholesale repentance for the entire city. The entire city. He opens their hearts and their minds to be able to receive the message of wrath and then they begin to they believe it. Think, it makes me think of John chapter, back to John 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last days, in the last day. Listen, what happened in Nineveh was a miracle. What happens when you and I have, we're, we repent of our sins and we trust Christ, that is a regenerative miracle. It is a miracle from the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, to get an entire city to agree upon anything in and of itself is a miracle. Amen? Listen, let me just go. To get a church to agree upon anything 100% is a miracle. Amen? No, nobody here in that one? What color should we do the carpet? I'd like gray. No, I'd like green. Oh, yeah? Bam! Right? That happens. It's a miracle. And as a result of this miracle happening, who gets the glory out of it? Jonah? No. God gets the glory. They believed God. They believed, the people of Nineveh believed God. And what did they do? They began, they said they were calling for a fast. They put on sackcloth. 
That was a symbol of repentance. That's a symbol of humility. They called for a fast. Listen, we're not eating. We're not going to eat. From the greatest to the least, from the top level to the richest of the rich to the poorest of the poor, we're all going to repent. So everyone in the city, even the king, verse 6, look at 6 through 9. The word, this word reaches the king of Nineveh, and he arose from the throne and removes his robes, covers himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes, and then he issues a proclamation to be published throughout all of Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd or, nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered in sackcloth and let them call upon the mighty, uh, call out mightily to God and let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that has been in his hands. So listen, Nineveh was a wicked city. It was a violent city. It was a hellishly horrible city, historically. Bad things happened in Nineveh. Just like bad things happen in any other city in the country. So the order, and look, look at this, the order didn't just affect people. It affected animals too. Why? Because the focus was no longer on doing the tasks of the day. No work. You don't have to go feed those animals. don't have to water those animals. They'll be good for three days. No feed, no water, no work. What are we doing? We're spending three We're going to spend the days here praying and asking the Lord to do a work. We're going to turn from our wicked ways and we're going to turn from the violence that's been in our hands and we're going to ask the Lord to do something in our hearts. Oh, that this city, the city of Cedarvale, Kansas would do this. Oh, that the city that you live in would do this. That the top of the top to the bottom of the bottom would say, God, we're sorry. We have been wicked. We have done evil in your sight. Oh God, please forgive us. Could you imagine here if the mayor walked in here this morning and said, listen, citizens of Cedarvale, I'm the mayor. We've got a proclamation for the next three days. No one's eating or drinking, period. If it is, you're in trouble. Don't eat, don't drink, don't feed your cows, don't feed your horses, don't feed your pigs, don't feed your goats, don't feed your horse or your, your dogs, your cats. You're going to spend the next three days in sackcloth and ashes and asking the Lord to forgive you of your sinfulness. And furthermore, we're going to ask God to do a work to save and redeem. That is the beginning of revival. Listen, this is what Cedarvale, Kansas needs. Period. This is what Cedarvale, Kansas needs. This is what you and I need. Is to get on our knees before a mighty and sovereignly powerful God and ask Him to forgive us of our sins. So, Caleb, I'm not a sinner. Let's just take a test. How many of y'all have ever lied? If you have not raised your hand, you're lying now. How many of you guys have ever... Okay, fair enough, right? How many of you guys have ever stolen anything? You just told me you're a bunch of liars, so I don't believe you. Right? 
How many guys have ever uh, used the Lord's name in vain? Used it as a cuss word. Okay? So we're, by your own admissions here this morning, we're a bunch of liars, thieves, and blasphemers. Whoa, Caleb, I don't like the way you frame that. Well, that's what the Word of God says. And according to God's Word, what you deserve is God's wrath. And this is what happened in the city of Nineveh. They were confronted with their wickedness, that they had broken God's law, that they were in desperate need of revival, that they, and that they were heading towards the wrath of God. The, the king continues in his proclamation in verse 9, and then he says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So he said, listen, God might save us. If we turn from our wickedness, maybe he'll save us. That, that idea is echoed in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. I love this. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with your whole heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? Whew. So the whole city does this. The whole city in the text gathers and repents over their sins. They relent. They, they, they step back and say, God, we are wicked. We have done wicked in your sight. God, forgive us from the king to the pauper. They repent. Listen, that's the calling for today in 2023. Where you're sitting in your pew, that's the calling in your own personal life. You say, Caleb, I'm not a bad person. Well, you just admitted you were. You just admitted you were. None of us are righteous. None of us are good. We're all, as the scripture says, our goodness, our righteousness is as filthy rags before a holy God. So the calling for you and I today, God is telling us in this text that it's time. It's time that you stop playing the games you've been playing. Like the wordsmithing we have to just to, uh, just to in our own minds, get away with the sin that we've committed. Well, it's not that, it wasn't that bad. I didn't do near as bad as the guy down the street. It's not horrible. It's not that bad, right? You know where you've fallen short. You know where you need to plead with the Lord to do a work in your heart. And, and listen, here's what's the beautiful thing is what happens in verse 10. Is that when God saw what they did, how they turned from their wicked ways, when they turned from their sins, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God forgives them. Like, that's the, the mind-blowing thing, is that God, rather than saying, you know what, you, you know what? I'm going to kill you for what you've done. And they plead for mercy. And they say, God, please don't. We're sorry. Please forgive us. God says, okay, I forgive you. 
Like that's the mind-blowing thing is that you and I are in the same bucket. We deserve the same thing that the people of Nineveh deserve. But yet God offers forgiveness for those that would repent. Could it, like, listen, and here's, here's where people get real nervous when I start saying things like this, but that's okay. Could it be that the reason this area is not getting rain is because of our apathy towards the things of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has for us to do? Could it be, maybe, could it be that that's why you're not seeing any rain in this place? That we have so made peace with our sins that God has shut up the heavens. Could be. Could be. So you say, well, Caleb, what do we do? What do we do? Repent of your sins and believe the gospel. And here's how, this is, this is what you do. This is, you got two responses here. You can throw up your hands and say, Caleb, you're crazy. That's just a story in the Bible. That doesn't affect me in 2023. I believe in science. Cool. That's awesome. I'm glad you, I'm glad you believe in science because God made science. And here's what God's calling for us to do is to repent and trust the gospel. So you could throw your hands up and say, ah, that's just a story. That's just a fairy tale. I don't need to do anything. Brothers and sisters, I think that the calling should be repentance in all of our lives. It should be a pleading with the Lord Jesus Christ over our sinfulness. I'm not talking about, well, you don't know the sin of this guy. You don't know the sin of that lady. I don't care about that. I care about my sin. You should care about your sin. Because if you deal with your sin, what did Jesus say? Remove the the log that's out of your own face before you try to deal with the speck that's in your brother's eye. Deal with your own sin first. Start there. Repent of your sins and let God do the work for the rest of it. We should be asking God to cleanse us and to forgive us. We should ask God for Forgiveness over the apathy of the things that we have been so just lastly, just eh, it's a take it or leave it attitude about the things of God. And sadly, I think that many of us will sit stone cold and unmoved and unchanged, looking forward for the clock to strike noon and for this thing to be over so that they can walk out of the building and have no change or no desire for any type of change. I just want out of the, get, get me out of the room. I'm, all, I'm all, not coming back next week for sure, pastor. Okay, cool. What if the people of Nineveh, what if the people of Nineveh had had that same type of response? Oh, golly, I don't want to hear this. 40 days and their city would have been destroyed. Listen, none of you in this room are promised tomorrow. I'm not promised the next 35 seconds. Neither are you. Where are you with the Lord? Where are you with the Lord? Time, listen. Time is quickly moving to an end. And we live currently in a state of mercy from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now is the time to get off of your blessed assurance 
and onto your knees and ask the Lord to do a work to change your life. To turn from your wickedness and to turn towards the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now is the time to get before the Lord and get real with Him. Because here's the deal. You're not hiding anything from God. Listen, you can hide stuff from me. Cool. At the end of the day, that don't matter. But you can't hide anything from God. And to believe that you can hide something from God is a foolish thing to do. And you are only gathering for yourself wrath from God. To refuse to repent. I ain't doing it. I'm going to live my life and do whatever I want, Caleb. You can't tell me what to do. No, it's that old, only God can judge me. Yeah, you're right, and that should terrify you. That should terrify you. Why? Because God will judge sin. And it's either going to fall on the head of the Lord Jesus Christ at, the, at Calvary's cross, or you're going to pay for it for an eternity in hell. That's the two options. Well, Caleb, I want a third option. You don't get a third option. You get that one or that one. Well, I don't, I don't want to go to hell for eternity. Okay, cool. What do you got to do? Repent and trust the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross. When he shed his blood on Calvary's cross, that's how he atoned for your sin. You name it. Lying, stealing, blasphemy, adultery, cheating, murder. Well, I've never murdered anybody. Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. Well, I've never committed adultery. Awesome. If you've looked at somebody with lust, you've committed adultery. You're an adulterer. Your pastor's an adulterer. Why? Because I've looked at people with lust. Right? That that Jesus brought it home, right? I'm guilty of murder. Your pastor's a murderer. Why? Because I've looked at some people with some rage. Anybody ever? Okay, got a couple in the room? So the question is here, will you repent? Will you change directions? Will you come to the end of yourself and say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That's the question. That's the question. 